work. <laughs> For those that don't know me, I'm Ashley Milliken. I am and our children's ministry director, also stunt woman. For some who may know, I get hit by a ball in the face pretty well. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you today. If, if you've been here in the last um, several weeks, you know that Family Life Church is launching some new ideas in town, and we're excited about it. We have a new vision that we've just begun talking a lot about. Anybody remember what it is? There's three parts. Love God, love people, love Warsaw. That's right. And we're really excited about that. You saw an announcement about um, a new believers course that starts this week. There's also the walk across the room outreach training that starts this week. Life groups are coming, so make sure that you sign up for those things in the foyer. Um, we also have a table with some Love Warsaw stuff out there that you can buy. I saw somebody, Bill, I think, has a t-shirt on right now. Very um, awesome that you wore that today. So if you're interested in um, participating in that, the things that are for sale out there are for sale for the same cost that the church ordered them for. We're not making any money or raising money or anything. We just want to spread the word around town with some really visual, easy-to-see things that um, we love Warsaw. So we'd love for you to get on board with that. So last week, or last month, we talked about the new vision that we have. This month, we're going to bring it down a little bit, and we're going to talk about turning our focus outward. That's going to be the whole month of October. Um, and today, specifically, I get to talk to you about compassion and the compassion of Jesus. So um, I'll be honest. I, so I'm a nurse in addition to working with kids here at church. And um, a lot of people just assume that nurses are really compassionate because we give you medicine and we say, oh, feel better here, use this hot pack. So that's not really true. I'm, I'm the nurse that sticks needles in your kid's arm with absolutely no qualms about it, <laughs> right? I don't mind. I know they cry, they don't like it, but they need it, right? That doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me to hold a kid down while somebody gets a big laceration sutured or something. That's the job, right? And ultimately, that is compassion because I know the end of that story is that they're better, right? So that's compassion. But in the true sense of it, it doesn't break my heart to hurt your child if I know it's important, okay? I don't make a habit of it here in this building, just so you know. Um, but... I think part of that, part of what makes me a good nurse and part of what makes it difficult for me to have compassion all the time is that um, I'm a rule follower. I am a person that really likes structure. Some of you know me. I love lists. I love to put something on the list and check it off. Sometimes I put something on a list that I've already done just so I can check it off. feels very accomplished. Um, but I like rules. I like that when you do one thing, you get one result right? This makes sense to me. So the compassionate side of Jesus sometimes doesn't make sense to me, and it's hard for me to get there. It's difficult for me to comprehend how he does that. And so the whole purpose of this message today is for me to tell you how I don't get that, okay? <laughs> you can join with me or you can say you're crazy, but um, I wonder if there might be some people in this room that feel the same way that I do who have struggled with this. And I've asked the Lord many, many times to give me a heart of compassion, difficult though that may be for me, that looks like his. So I want to share with you what he's taught me, and perhaps he'll do that for you too. Um, so I said I'm a rule follower. I want to tell you this story to really bring home that point of being a rule follower. So recently in April, a friend and I had planned for a long time, we had planned this trip to Europe. We were so excited. We went to Europe, we went to London, and we went to Rome. 
and we were there for about two weeks, and we were going to come home. We did come home from here. And um, the last day we were traveling, we were tired. You know, we had a great time, but we were ready to be home. And so we get to the airport in Rome, and I think every Italian in the world was in that airport. Everybody. They're all going somewhere or coming from somewhere. And this is a picture of, this isn't my picture, but this is very similar to what the lines looked like. And so we had to go through customs when we first got to the airport. We had to go through, you know how you have to show them your passport and tell them you're an American, it's okay to go back to America, all that. So when we got to the sign that said customs, you know, check in for customs, the line was, it looked like this all through the ropes and was even further back than that. So when we got there, there were maybe 25 people between where the ropes even started and where we could line up. But people were lining up. In a civilized society, if you, there's a line, you just go to the back of it, right? That's what we do. That's the rule. If any of you are line cutters, you put your ears on now. I tell the kids, turn your ears on and zip your lips. This is important, okay? You go to the back of the line. That's the rule. So we went to the back of the line. We had our bags, and we're standing there. And it wasn't moving too badly. It was moving, but a little slow, right? And we see, as we're maybe now 10 people from where the ropes even start, this couple. They come meandering in, and they're arm in arm, probably, I don't know, maybe in their 60s. Charming couple. She's drinking a coffee. He's carrying a bag. And they're chit-chatting. And don't I see them eye up where the ropes start? There's now 50 people behind where the ropes start. And they were going to make a beeline for it. And I went, no. No. And my friend Susan, she's an accountant, so she's even more of a rule follower than me. She goes, I, I think those people are going to cut in line. I said, I know I see them. I can see them. <laughs> and there was a lady behind us going to her husband or somebody, do you see those people? What are they doing up there? I know what they're doing up there. They're cutting. 50 people they're cutting. For what? This is a line? Like, where are you going to go? So we're getting closer, right? And these people are, they're, they're savvy, these line cutters. They're just, ha, 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 And then they'll like, a little closer to where the ropes start. And we all now, the whole bunch of us, we're like in a posse. All right, guys, huddle in. We cannot let this happen. You cannot let the cutters get in line. No. So we get up to the front, and don't you know, we blocked those people from getting in that line. But a few people behind us weren't on board with the plan. And the cutters cut in line. And those people didn't even notice. They didn't even see. They're chit-chatting, whatever. The cutters jumped right in front of them. So now the cutters are like three groups behind us. And we just passed the ropes. So now we're like, OK. We're in the ropes. No civilized person is going to cut inside the ropes, right? They're not civilized, these cutters. They're vagabonds. They'll do anything. I tell you what, we got to the first turn in the rope. Didn't they just scooch themselves in front of the people behind us? Now they're directly behind us. And Susan goes, this cannot happen. This cannot happen to us. We can't let them back out of us. And I said, this is a matter of principle now. We're early for our flight. We have all the time in the world. But they will not get in front of us. So we were like scooching our bags when we go around the corner. And we were strategizing at each straight part of the rope before the next bend, because that's the weak point. If you know there's a line cutter behind you, it's not the straight line that they'll go for. It's the turn, because they like, 
fill in the space, right? But then they fill in more space that's theirs. That's not right. So we had our bags. I had a rolling bag, and I would like, I mean, and I looked that lady in the eye, and I put my bag right in front of her. You are not cutting this line. That's not the rule. Well, don't you know, we got to the front, and when you get to customs, there's like 10 gates that you can go through, right? And there's a person there that says, you go to number one, and you go to number two. How many in your party? You go to number four. So we went to number two. The cutters went to number three. They were right next to us. They beat us through customs. I don't even know how it happened. All of my efforts were for nothing. All of my rule following, they still beat us through customs. Now, I don't know where they went. I'm sure they're lovely people who Jesus loves. But they don't follow the rules. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it. So that's who's talking to you today, okay? If you cut in my line, you will not return to this part program, okay? You will not. We follow the rules. Jesus followed the rules sometimes, and he didn't follow the rules other times, and that was okay. But it's not okay for us sometimes, is it? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. So I want to tell you a couple stories um, about Jesus and the way that he showed compassion for people. And some of them make good sense to me, and some don't. You can judge for yourself. So the first story I want to tell you, before I tell you a story, actually, I want to, um, when we define the word compassion, there's a definition that I found. It says, um, sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. A better version of that, go ahead, Elizabeth, is understanding the suffering of others and wanting to do something about it, right? I see that you're hurting. What can I do to help you? This is compassion. So, um... In the Gospels, we see lots and lots of times there's a reference made to Jesus was moved with compassion. He was overcome by compassion for the people, and he did something. That's always followed by an action. Never anywhere in all of the references that I looked at did it ever say he was moved with compassion and he hoped the next guy would do something about it. He never did that. It never says that. Um, So, There's a story in, it's in a couple places, but I'm going to tell you the one out of Matthew. Um, It's just after John the Baptist has now been beheaded. He was a dear friend of Jesus who launched Jesus into his ministry, actually. That's a whole different sermon about how that all happened. But John the Baptist was being held prisoner. There was a lady there that was mad at him for something because he told her the truth and she didn't like it. And she had the boss guy take his head off. And then there's this whole, like, in that part, this weird conspiracy theory that Herod, who took his head off, thought that Jesus was him or something. I don't know. There's a lot of controversy about what he thought. But altogether, there was a guy that really hated Jesus and really hated John the Baptist. And this guy now is dead, a dear friend of Jesus. So the news comes to Jesus that his friend is gone. So that's where we start. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, meaning the news of John the Baptist's death, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Have you ever um, gotten information, a piece of news, or learned something that was hard? 
really hard. Maybe you just found out that you lost somebody in your family. Maybe you've just been delivered the news that your job is being eliminated and you don't have one. Maybe you know that you've got a lot of responsibilities coming up and something else just got added to your plate. You just don't know how you're going to do it. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to just escape a little bit, right? Like, okay, just don't anybody talk to me for a minute. I got to process this. I got to think it through. I just want to be alone, right? Moms, sometimes you can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. A kid is always needing something, right? You're like, I just, for one minute, want to close the door and not have fingers under the door, right? Or somebody saying, but I need it right now. It's so important right now. Jesus was in that place, maybe not the bathroom place, but he was in the place where he just needed to get away for a minute. He needed to go by himself and talk to the father and say, God, father, he's gone. They killed him. My heart hurts. There's people looking for me. I don't know what's going to happen. The theology there, I guess, is a little questionable. Maybe he knew, maybe he didn't know, but he trusted the father, right? And he wanted to get alone to go and be with him. And then all the people saw, oh, look, he's going somewhere. Come on, we'll go the short way. He gets in a boat to try and go away from all the people who needed ministry from him. And he is trying to be with the Father, and they chased him all the way to the other side of the lake. Hey, we're here. We beat you. Hey. Oh, (laughs) I probably would have just stayed right in the middle of the lake. They can't get me if I'm out here. They're not going to swim here. Right? So I'm just going to stay in my boat. But the word says that he was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. And he did something. He didn't say, just tell them I'll be there in a while. I need my time. He didn't do that. He put aside what was comfortable for him, what made sense to him. He put aside the thing that he needed at the time in his human man body. He needed to be away. But the The needs of the people to see the glory of God were more important to him. It was more important that he bring the Father to the people than that he have time alone with the Father. So he went, and it says he healed their sick. He didn't just go and tell them it was going to be fine. He put his hands on them, and he made them well. So this picture of the compassion of Jesus makes a lot of sense to me, even though sometimes it's hard. Have you ever heard the phrase called compassion fatigue? Anybody ever heard of that before? The nonprofit world, whether it's a religious organization or not, there's a lot of talk about compassion fatigue. It's the idea that I can help one person, but I can't help 8,000 people that lost their homes in Houston. How could I ever fix 8,000 people? And so we become overwhelmed by the amount of need, and we shut down and we can't do anything. So the idea for people who serve in areas like this is, You can't do everything, but you can do one thing. You can do something with the person directly in front of you. And if that's all you can do today, you did that. That's compassion that's reasonable and that's doable. Jesus did that. I don't know if he suffered from compassion fatigue, but it wouldn't surprise me. He was a man who lived the same way that we do. He was probably exhausted a lot of times with thousands of people just sitting, clamoring for him to touch them. So this says that he went and he healed their sick. He found one kid that needed a better leg and he fixed it. He found one blind guy and he put his hands on his face and he healed his eye. 
Shortly after this is actually the story where he feeds the multitudes with just a couple of fish and loaves. So he didn't just stop at doing something practical for them. He also challenged the faith of his disciples. He did a miracle for people to see the glory of God. It was a big thing. That was a big day. And it was all in the setting of him just feeling broken. And he did that. I'm certainly not saying that you can't have needs. I'm not saying you shouldn't care for yourself. That's really important that you do. And it's okay for you to be the one that needs compassion and needs the ministry. That's okay. But sometimes God says, I know you have needs, but I've put my spirit in you, and they don't know me. You got to go. Love Warsaw today, even when you're tired. Go to the Y and walk. And don't just put your earbuds in and ignore everybody around you. When somebody says, hey, what's on your water bottle? Talk. Talk to them. This is something that we can do. We can have the compassion that Jesus had. So my first point to you today is that Jesus had this compassion. He was moved with compassion, and it drove him to meet our needs. It drives him to meet our needs, present tense. He still does this. So my first challenge to you is, See if you can meet some needs this week. Practical ones, easy ones. You got a neighbor who needs their leaves raked? Help them. By the way, my Strong Oaks class, you're here, right? You guys ever know what a rake looks like? You did it yesterday? Wow, you raked somebody's leaves? Oh, your own leaves. <laughs> well, your mother and father need compassion too, so that's really good. I'm proud of you for doing that. And then you jumped in it, as every good leaf raker would. I don't see why you wouldn't. That's a rule. You follow the rule. You rake the leaves and then you jump in them. That's right. <laughs> I like having my kids in, in here. It's, more, it's fun. You guys are fun too, but they're really fun. <laughs> okay, so that's my first point, that Jesus, the, the, the compassion of Jesus drives him to meet our needs. The second story I want to tell you is one that many people know they're familiar with. It's about a lost sheep. Anybody ever heard the parable of the lost sheep? No? Well, listen up. This is for you. All right. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, P.S., those were the rule breakers of the time, just so you know, they did not follow the rules. They drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the rule followers, everybody, they knew all the rules and they did them. They complained, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. I'm pretty sure that's how they said that. And he spoke this parable, Jesus spoke this parable to them saying, which man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which was lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just or forgiven people who need no repentance. So, I'm a city girl who lives in the country. I will probably always be a city girl. I still, if after living in Warsaw, what, more than 10 years, 12, 13 years, something like that, it makes me real nervous when the cows are close to the road. Real <laughs> nervous. Like, I... Usually, if I can, I'm like in the middle lane if I got to drive by the field because they do things. They're big. 
and there's a teeny string of tiny wire that they're behind. If they figure out that they can get past that, we're done. You say they won't. That's what I'm banking on. <laughs> oh, they will. Don't say things like that to me. No, they will never figure out that they can't. No, no. They follow the rules with the rope and the wire. They'll stay there or I'm moving back to the city because they are unpredictable and they are enormous. Did you ever stand next to a cow? Enormous. Oh, my word. They are so big. I was stopped at a construction thing once and there was a cow really close and I was just, I mean, I wanted to go, but I couldn't. I was stuck in construction. Anyway, so this is my premise. I don't know a lot about farm animals. I don't. This is not my world. But I did some research about sheep to read this story. And the, there's two things that I learned in particular. There's a lot to be said about sheep in the Bible and a lot of really interesting parallels and stuff. But the two things I want to talk about today are, number one, they're very social animals. Did you know this? They love each other. They, like, are really amicable, and they really love being around other sheep. I think that's funny. Like, they really just want to have buddies all the time. It's a nice life they live, these sheep, right? Um, and they, you know, there's some research that's been done, sheep research, <laughs> this is a thing, that sheep need five other sheep around them to feel safe. Isn't that interesting? How they figured this out, I don't know. I mean, did they survey them? Did they, I don't know how you talk with a sheep. I live in the city. But they, um, they did. They said five sheep will make a sheep comfortable. If it's less than that, they, they act anxious. And like even their blood chemistry changes if there's not enough sheep. Isn't that funny? And when they're shearing the sheep, that's a very, very anxiety-inducing activity for them, as it would be for any of us, right? I mean, we go for a haircut and we know what's happening. The sheep don't know what's happening. The thing comes at them, they don't know where it's going, right? They don't know. So they, they, they did some research that a sheep will accept shearing much more comfortably if it can see the other sheep. So if it's just in a pen, they take it and they wrestle it to the ground, you know, like a kid who needs a shot. I know this. I know how to wrestle. They, if the sheep can see the other sheep, it just it lets it happen. Isn't that funny? It's so interesting. So that's number one. Number two, they don't wander very often because of this, right? They like where they are. They like to be safe in a pen. They like that somebody brings them food. They're not wild creatures. They don't do well out there, right? Um, but if they wander from their crowd, it's usually for one of two reasons. They're sick or injured, or it's a female sheep about to give birth. So the shepherd keeps a real close eye on those pregnant sheep to make sure they don't just go off on their own, right? They keep them close by, make sure they're really close by. If a sheep is sick and the shepherd doesn't know it yet, that sheep is at huge risk of wandering off. Now this, I tell you what, this will preach, this whole piece of the whole thing, but imagine that as us, right? When we're sick or injured, spiritually, emotionally, there's something in us that doesn't want to be in the middle of the people that we know because there's weakness. Hold on. I'm going to go figure out this thing over here. You guys stay there. I have a problem. I'm going to fix it, and then I'll come back, right? We don't go to our leaders sometimes to say, I'm in this pickle. I don't know what to do. I'm sick. I'm broken. I need help. A lot of times we separate ourselves from our crowd of safety, 
to deal with something on our own. That's what the sheep did. So it's, it's easy for me. This is the sheep. The, the little caption, if you can't read it, says, this is fine. I'm fine. He's on a boulder between two cliffs. He's not fine. <laughs> it's easy for us to imagine that, oh, this poor sheep, it, it was just munching grass, and it turned its back for a second, and everybody left, like in Home Alone, right? right? He was in the attic, minding his own beeswax, and then he wakes up the next day, and his whole family's gone. That's not the sheep that Jesus is talking about in, the par- in this parable. He's talking about the sheep that says, I don't need help. I can do it my own big self. That's what my nephew used to say. No, no. And actually, I do it my big self. Okay, but your shoes are on the wrong feet and you have one sock on. The other one is who knows where. Right? We're sometimes the sheep that says, I'll do it my big self. I'm going to go off over here and do the thing. And the shepherd in this parable didn't particularly care why the sheep wandered away. Didn't matter. It didn't matter if that sheep had a rebellious sheep heart. It didn't matter if that sheep thought it could do everything on its own and didn't need his friend. The shepherd was desperate to find him because he was his. Because he loved him and he cared for him and that was his responsibility. And so he goes. Now this is another thing that I read about and I couldn't find a picture that really described it, but you can use this as an example. If this is where your sheep wandered, how did he get there? What path did he take that now the shepherd has to take to find him? This shepherd wasn't like, oh, hold on, I think my sheep is lost in this beautiful flat field of daisies. Oh, he's over there. No, no. This is a sheep that found himself in the crags of a rock face, and it's dangerous, and it's muddy, and it's dirty, and it's slippery, and that shepherd could very well, as a human being, fall off that rock face and die in his search for this sheep. And he goes anyway. And he won't stop until he finds him. The verse says, <laughs> he doesn't leave, who doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? He doesn't just go out for a while and if he can't find him, well, that's a shame. I've got 99 others, though, so that's good. 1%, not a bad margin of error, right? Because this one sheep means as much to him as his whole hundred. The one sheep that wandered of his own choice with bad judgment and is not accepting help or love at this point is worth saving. He's worth pursuing. And the rest of that verse says that when he finds him, He doesn't just like lead him back with a rope. He picks him up. Look at that sheep. It's pretty big. He picks him up and carries him home because he knows that that sheep left for one of the reasons I said. He was sick or injured. Maybe it's a girl sheep ready to have a baby. But whatever it is compromises this sheep's ability to get home. Maybe once he got to that rock, he figured out this was a bad choice. I might not have done this next time. But he can't get back by himself. How's he going to back out of that spot? He gets back because the shepherd gets him. He comes after him. He pursues him. He follows him to where he's the most broken. And he gets him and he takes him back where? Not to an isolated barn. He brings him back to the herd. 
Now, he may give special attention to that guy in the herd because he's sick or injured, but he brings him back to the place of safety, to the place where he's known, to the place where we can see him, we can care for him, and all of his sheep buddies are there saying, we're so glad you're back. This place, Family Life Church, is a place where you can come home to. If you've ever felt lost on that boulder up there, this is the place. If you need to know where to bring somebody that was lost on a boulder, bring them here. Not because we're perfect people, but because we know the safety in the shepherd's place. We know that this is a place where he meets us and we can take care of one another, even if we made the choice to go off when we shouldn't have, right? This is a safe place for that to happen. This, I want this, and I believe the leadership of this church, and certainly the Father, wants this to be a place where the compassion of Jesus drives him to pursue us and drives us to pursue the people around us. So that's my second point. The compassion of Jesus drives him to pursue us. There's a song that I really, really like recently. If you're friends with me on Facebook, I've posted it a couple of times because I really like it. It's called Reckless Love, and it actually talks about this story. And the bridge of that song says, there's no mountain he won't climb up, no wall he won't kick down, something else. I don't know. I don't remember right now. But he will stop at nothing to pursue the lost sheep and bring them home. And I'm grateful that I serve a God like that. I'm grateful that I don't serve a God that counts me in the margin of error. We have all, every one of us, been in the margin of error before, right? That doesn't mean that he loves the 99 any less, but he knows they're safe. He knows where they are. He knows they have what they need. This guy didn't, and he went for him. That's the God that we serve, and I'm really, really grateful for it. Um, there's a verse in Lamentations. So has anybody ever read Lamentations from the beginning? It's So did you ever, like, you just really feel bad about yourself? and you just want everybody to know all about how bad it is, that's Lamentations. This guy, whew, he's a prophet, and granted, he probably had a really rough life, right? But he spends chapters talking about how terrible his life is. Just bad, right? And the people are angry, and they say this and that, and I was alone and hungry, and blah, blah. So in Lamentations chapter 3, I think what from verse 1 to 19 is this diatribe on how terrible life is right? And then in verse 19, he says, I remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. But this I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. He means this next thing. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. This guy had it rough. He had very little support in his life. And the thing that held him, the hope that bound him, was that the compassions of the Lord fail not, and his mercy is new every morning. If you wonder whether God is worth serving, that's a good answer for you. He is. He is because his compassions are for us, and they fail not. So I told you earlier there's a definition of compassion. I told you what it was. I want to tell you a little bit about the origin of the word compassion. 
Um, so I am not a linguist either, nor a farmer. So I'm a little bit outside my wheelhouse here, but this is what I found. So in, in the Greek, the word compassion is this word, which I believe sounds like <coughs> about, right? Pastor Chris, is that about right? I think. I have no idea how to say that word, nor will I try. Splog something something. It means, I know the English, to be moved in the inward parts. That the, the depth of your soul is changed by something that you saw. That's the compassion, the word compassion that's referred to in these gospel stories. That's what they're talking about. The shepherd's heart was moved to the inward part by something that he saw and he wanted to fix it, right? The Latin of this word compassion is actually two parts. It's com, which means with, and then pati is the root of this word, which means in suffering. And this really blew my mind. So if compassion really means that, it means with in suffering. I'm with you in your suffering. He says, I was moved with compassion. I'm not going to look at you from a distance. I'm going to be with you in the midst of your suffering. So I want to tell you a story. I told you I was a nurse. And I've told this story to a few of you. People who are close to me may know it. It was incredibly impactful to me, This what happened. And I feel like this was the beginning of this understanding that I'm getting to of the compassion of God's heart. So um, I work in a pediatric ICU, so kids who are really, really sick. Um, and a lot of times we're a trauma ICU, right? We take lots of really bad injuries and things. And um, this was a few years ago. There was a kid who came in, a little girl. She was almost two. And she came in with multiple skull fractures and bleeding and swelling in her brain and several other injuries that we were figuring out. Um, and she was accompanied by a police officer because they had suspicions that a man who was friends with her mom had hurt her. And when she got to me, she had come from the operating room. They had done surgery on her head to try and fix the swelling and bleeding in her head. And she was in rough shape. She was probably one of the sickest kids I've ever taken care of. She was really, really sick. And so I picked her up the day she got there. And then for four days... This one nurse and I, who also happened to be a Christian, one of the only Christians I know that I work with, actually. She worked nights, and I worked days at the time. And we traded back and forth for four days, this kid. We were the only two nurses that ever took care of her. And she was really sick. I mean, we were doing everything that we know how to do in medicine to fix this kid's swelling and keep her blood pressure where it was and keep her heart beating, keep her lungs moving. She was on a ventilator, of course, and she was... Um, in really, really rough shape. And on the fourth day, I got there, and maybe an hour into my shift in the morning, the doctors came, and they said to the parents, and I was in there, they said, we've done everything that we can do. There's nothing else that we can do to save your little girl. I'm really, really sorry, but you're going to have to call your family. Get everybody you need to get here, here, because we need to, there's nothing more that we can do. We're going to lose her today. And so the family, they knew how ill she was, so I don't know that that was a total shock, but they called some other local people in, they came, and um, maybe an hour later, we took her off the ventilator, mom held her, and she died. And I stood in the corner of that room, just devastated. 
because, not even because a kid had died, because I've seen that before, but because I had spent four days and four nights asking God to come and do something in this kid. I had spent days, and my friend who was the night nurse spent nights just crying out to Jesus to come and heal this kid, do a miracle. This family desperately needs to see that God can do something. And so we finished all the work that we had to do. A police officer stayed with me for the rest of the day because now this child it had turned into a homicide investigation. So they couldn't leave her alone until the medical examiner had custody and blah, blah, blah. And he, 30 years on the Rochester Police Department force, he was a veteran, police officer, had seen a lot. He walked into that room and in 30 seconds turned around crying and had to leave because of how bad she looked. And he came back and he said, I'm really sorry, that's so unprofessional. I, I have never responded like that. And I said, sir, this is not normal life. This, nobody should see this. This shouldn't be in our world. So please don't apologize to me. I've been crying all morning. So... Um, we did all the things that we have to do whenever we lose a kid, including doing some, for this case, we did some extra x-rays even after she had passed away so that the courts could make a case for um, their homicide investigation. And this baby girl had 17 partially healed fractures other places in her body. Some of them not well healed, probably never treated. And I tell you what, I, this didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense. So I finished the day. They let me go home early, which I was really grateful for. And I was driving home, and I got about as far as Leroy from Strong. And I was crying so hard, I couldn't see anything to drive. I had to pull over. And I was just angry. I was saying to the Lord, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't who I know. This, I don't understand. Like, why, why? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why did this baby girl go through all of that? Why does this happen in a world that you created? I don't understand. And where were you? Anybody ever asked that question before? And I felt the Lord speak so clearly to me that he said, honey, you asked me to come. What part of my character that you know thinks that I wasn't right there? What part of the heart of God that you know thinks that I wasn't holding that baby girl when she came home to me? What part of the God that loves you so much thinks that my heart wasn't broken for the pain that she went through? She knew that I was there. She had peace in her little baby heart because I was with her every second. I was with her when she was hurt before this. I was with her when she went to surgery. I was with her when she was in this room for the last four days. You asked me to come, and I did. That's a compassionate Jesus. There's sin and brokenness in the world, and he comes in the midst of it. And when I heard him say that to me, I felt like, okay, I won't ever make sense of the why, but I know he was there. And then he said, and you know how much I love that baby girl? How much did you love her in four days and you never knew it before? How much more do I love that baby girl? I said, I know, God, I know you do. And he said, guess what? I love the man that hurt her just as much. 
He's mine, and I will pursue him. I will climb the rock face for him. I will never stop putting people in his way until he hears and accepts the love of Jesus because he's mine. I don't care what he did. He's mine. And folks, that's the compassion. It doesn't make any sense to me. It shouldn't be the same for the baby girl and for the man that killed her. That doesn't make sense. That's not the rule. But God has an upside-down kingdom where the rules don't always count. And that's not the way he functions. Thank God. So in the story of Jesus when he went to the cross, there's another guy in that story, and we don't hear a lot about him. His name is Barabbas. This guy was a criminal. He was a murderer, likely. He led a big rebellion. He was in prison, on death row, ready to go to, to a cross, I suppose, when Jesus was brought to trial. And Pontius Pilate was the guy in charge, and he has this guy, Barabbas, a known criminal who killed people, and he has Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead and cleansed the lepers and cast out demons and fed the hungry and brought the kingdom of God to earth. These are the two guys standing next to him. And he's already said, guys, this guy did nothing wrong. I don't know why you want to kill him. This doesn't make any sense. Who wanted to kill him? The rule followers the Pharisees and the Sadducees who knew the law and said, this guy isn't supposed to be here because he doesn't do things the way we do them. This doesn't make sense. We need him gone. And I suspect they had good intentions. They wanted to maintain the system that they believed God built. But they couldn't see the grace. They couldn't see the compassion that God had on the people. And so Pilate says to them, all right, well, listen, we have this tradition where on a feast day, it was the Passover time, I will release back to you one Hebrew prisoner. You can pick. Now you have this guy who's awful, horrible, a criminal who killed people, or this nice man over here who's very kind, and isn't he so charming? Who would you like back? Now, I think Pilate was really trying to make it easy for the people to make a different choice than what they were saying, right? What did the people say? We want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas back. They said, we want to kill Jesus because we don't like him. We don't like the way he functions outside of our system. We want to let this guy go. We'll let this guy die. So, is this a picture of the compassion of Jesus? It is, but it's not quite as clear. The Bible doesn't say, and Jesus was moved with compassion, so he let Barabbas go. It doesn't say that. It says the people demanded Barabbas be given back to them and released so that Jesus could be sent to the cross. So that says to me that this story goes way farther back than that day in front of Pontius Pilate. God wrote this story. He ordained this guy, Barabbas, to show up at this point in history, having done all of the terrible things that he did, and for Jesus to take his place. 
God knew that we needed to see that Jesus would go to the cross for this guy. There's nobody beyond the redemption of Jesus' blood. There's nobody so bad that Jesus wouldn't have stepped up and said, I'll go. That's who I am. That's what I'm here for. And do you know something? We don't hear much more about this guy. In fact, we hear nothing more from this guy. He didn't turn around after they released him and say, oh my goodness, this, I, I've just had a revelation of who this man is. He's God and I worship him. He didn't say that. He didn't even say thank you that we know of. He didn't have any further contact with this Jesus who was going to the cross for him. And Jesus went anyway. And he loved him. He pursued him. He made a way for Barabbas to find salvation and a life beyond what he lived if he chose to. I have no idea if he ever chose to. We don't know. But I know that he had that choice because of what Jesus did. The compassion of Jesus drives him to spend his life on us even when we don't deserve it. And let me tell you, none of us do. I'm glad that our world isn't just full 100% of guys that do what this guy did to my little patient in ICU. But we're here, every one of us, having done something that hurt somebody else. We're here, every one of us, having done something that hurt the heart of God. And guess what? He pursues us anyway. He will find us anyway. His compassion is new every morning anyway. This is the God that we love and serve. And if you don't know him like this, I implore you to ask him to show you in a way that makes sense to you. In my rule-following heart, I had to see this horrific picture of this little girl that was so hurt by a man who God still loved. That's what it took for me to figure out that that's who Jesus was every single time. So I want to send you out today, um, hopefully not depressed at the terrible story I told you, because there's redemption in it. First of all, I know that that little girl is safe with Jesus. I know she is. And I pray, truly, truly, truly pray that that man who's sitting in prison right now for the rest of his life has had an encounter with the living God. Because God is after his heart. And he's after each one of ours. Would you stand with me today? I don't know where each of you is at today. Some of you may be... Um, identifying more with the Pharisees and with me, the rule followers, thinking that some of this just doesn't make any sense and that this isn't the way it's supposed to go sometimes and I don't want to have compassion on that person because that's not what they deserve. I struggle with this a lot. And if you're on, in that place today, I want to pray for you that God would meet you there and show you a perspective of his compassion that would allow you to love people the way that he does. Maybe you're on the other side today. Maybe you identify more with Barabbas or that sheep 
that found his way onto that rocky boulder. Maybe you feel like you're the guy or the girl who's done the things that probably if I do one more thing like that, nobody's going to come after me again. I've probably done enough that it's not worth it for them to save me anymore. It's not worth it for Jesus to love me like that anymore. If that's where your heart is, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad that you chose to come today so that I could tell you that there's no such thing. There is no such person who is beyond the compassion of Jesus. There's no, there's no action that you could ever do or think that would separate you from the love of God. Romans 8.38 gives a list that is basically all-encompassing of everything that could ever be in the world. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we come to you today as a people desperate to know your heart, desperate to love the way that you love in this town and around us. Father, you are a God who heals. You meet our needs. You pursue us. God, and you spend your life on us even when it doesn't make sense. Jesus, we love you. And we are so grateful for the way that you love us. Father, for those that are in this room that are like me, that have a hard time seeing past the rules, seeing past what makes sense to us, and having compassion, Father, I pray that you would come and change their hearts, Father, in the way that only you can. Meet them in a way that would be so special to them and would make so much sense to them that they would know that it's you coming and doing a transforming work in their hearts, God. I pray that you would give them opportunities to show love and compassion around them. Break their hearts the way yours breaks, Father, so that they would know the way that you love. And Father, for the people in this room who maybe identify more with the Barabbas or the sheep in our story, God, I pray that you would come with the same arms of love that you put around my baby girl as she was coming home to you, and that you would tell them that that compassion that you have for a baby two-year-old girl who's done nothing wrong is the same for them, that you love them as much, that you pursue them as much, that you want them in your kingdom, Father. God, I thank you that you promise us that your love will never fail. You promise us that nothing can separate us from your love. And your word says that your compassions never fail. Father, I ask today for a heart of compassion for each one. I ask that you would give us opportunities to love Warsaw and to love people and to love you in a new way this week, God. We thank you. I pray blessing on every person here today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, everybody. You're released. Don't forget to stop at the table out there if you're interested. Have a great day and sign up for the things you didn't sign up for yet.